know this, first of all, in these last days, scoffers will come with scoffing. If you had any question about how the scoff, what the scoffers would come doing, they come with scoffing. Peter is very clear uh, exactly what they're coming with. We are going to face danger in the church. We face all manner of testing, trial, tribulation, as we, as a church, wait the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a fact of church history. And if you look and think about church history over the many thousands of years, you can appreciate that the church has always faced testing, trial, and transition. And Peter, uh, thinking about this church and about this body that he has served for these many years, knows that they are going to face these kinds of trials and tests, that they are going to face particularly opposition from opponents. But really, every manner of testing, every manner of trial counts for the exhortation that Peter has for his people. We, as a church, are entering a concrete time of transition. Many of you as families are entering a time of transition and trial. You're, you're either sending kids off to college or you're receiving them back from college, hoping that they will leave you again to uh, uh, get good, uh, wonderful careers. You, 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 you're praying for your children. You moms, you're praying for your children that they would be able to face the trials and the tribulations that God is calling them to face. And you know them that you, you tell them that this is just a fact of life. We face problems. Peter right into this congregation, to the problems that he knows that they will face, exhorts them. Here is what you need to survive. Here is what you need to pave a path forward in the midst of your transition, in the midst of the trial that you're facing. Here's what you need. You need memory. The primary tool for the Christian as the Christian seeks to survive in the midst of the trials that face us is not novelty, but memory, not invention, but tradition. We have, the good news of that is, that might sound dour and very conservative, but the good news embedded in that simple truth that we need memory, not novelty, is that you already have what you need. You have what you need to move forward to survive. What you need to do is remember what you've gotten, what you've received what's been delivered unto you. Three things then in this passage that we are called to remember. We're to remember three things, words, workers, and works. Let's begin with words then. I thought in the last sermon they should all start with the same letter, by the way. So you're welcome. Words, workers, and works. We are to remember Words Actually, Peter starts at this point. Uh, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. We're to remember the things that we were told to us, the words that people spoke to us. I imagine in your own life, you have particular words and phrases that stick out to you, that somebody said to you at a particular time or, uh, that, uh, that, uh, or with a particular cadence or rhythm that 
whenever you hear those words, you, you kind of think of that uh, voice, that tone that your friend or your loved one or your mother or father spoke those same words to you. I can't hear uh, the words constant diligence without having Mad-Eye Moody in the movie Harry Potter, kind of uh, his voice, his tone to remember that. Actually, one of the hymns that we sang, Come Thou Fount, which is one of my favorite hymns, every time we sing that hymn, I remember a mentor that I had in college who would interrupt the song at that point, at, at verse 2, to talk about what an Ebenezer is. And so anytime I hear the word Ebenezer, I think of this friend of mine who wouldn't refuse to finish this hymn uh, before giving us a mini lecture on uh, an Ebenezer. And Ebenezer, by the way, is a, uh, a cairn. It's uh, something that you set up to be a reminder to you. So it's a little bit ironic there as well. We remember words. Words stick in our minds, and they actually are formative. They, they form us in particular ways. You remember the good advice that somebody gave you or the bad advice that somebody gave you, and, and those words form and shape how you act in particular moments. And what Peter wants us to do is to remember the words that were given to us, particularly by the, pro the apostles and prophets who spoke on behalf of Jesus Christ. We are to remember, in short, the scriptures. There's no mystery about what Peter is talking about here. These aren't private communications that took place, though some of them took place privately, but these are the publicly accessible traditions that have been handed to the people of God. We are to remember the words that have been delivered to us. Scoffers will come with scoffing. Actually, two weeks ago, uh, Gentleman's Quarterly, which of course I read uh, religiously, uh, GQ Magazine published a uh, 21 books that you don't have to bother reading. You know, you're trying to work through the classics of Western civilization. There's 21 that they say, you don't, you don't have to bother reading these. They're overhyped. They're overrated. Skip these. Move on to others. And number 10 is, you guessed it, the Bible. Uh, and the writer at this point says, those who have read the Bible know that there are some good parts, but overall it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It is repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. That is not a out there kind of idea. That is a, the mainstream idea when we approach the Bible from our culture is, you know, there's some good parts. You know, the, the Gospels and the doctrine of, uh, of the universal fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of human beings and, and that we're to love one another. I mean, there's some good parts in there, but there's also some parts that are ill-intentioned that you don't need to bother with. Now, there's all manner of reasons why I think we should reject uh, this advice from GQ. Uh, historical reasons, uh, uh, artistic reasons, all sorts of reasons that we can reject it. But the bottom line is that our culture approaches the Bible as something that need not be remembered. It needs to be, in fact, forgotten. And yet we, who have grown to love the Lord Jesus Christ, find in here, find in these pages, our Savior and our salvation. We find in these pages, there are hard parts. There are parts that are difficult to understand. Peter himself, actually one of the most encouraging 
lines in 2 Peter. If you're, if you're the type of person that has questions about the Bible and, and you get to one of those parts that seems foolish or self-contradictory or ill-intentioned, there's a great encouragement for you here in 2 Peter. As Peter is encouraging you to study and remember the Bible, he also says there are parts in it that are hard to understand. Like It seems that Peter doesn't get some of Paul's letters. He doesn't quite get what's going on in this or that spot. The Bible, the, the message of the Bible is clear. The basic principles of the Bible are clear. And yet, there are parts that we're going to stumble over that are going to be hard to understand. And we shouldn't let those parts then sap us of the desire to remember what we have received. We are to remember these words. They will save us in the proper time, particularly the truth of the gospel and the value of the virtues that Peter mentions in 2 Peter chapter 1. Remember the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ and his, the proclamation of Christ as died, crucified, risen for your salvation. Remember what he taught us, the holiness that he taught us, and remember his life and what he died for and that he was raised. Remember these things and you will be ready to meet the trials that come. So how do you do that? How do you remember what you've been taught, what you've received? How do you recall that to mind in the time, the proper time, when you need it? Well, uh, not to be overly obvious here, but memorization is a great tool to us. You know, somebody says something in a particularly effective way, perhaps in a sermon, perhaps in a Sunday school, write it down. Memorize scripture. Take a look at the creeds again. Catechize your children and catechize yourself. What that will do is it will give you a bank of material that you can draw on in your time of need. So memorize the word. Memorize those passages that have been inform uh, informative to you or have been particularly useful to others. Memorize the catechisms and then you will have them ready when called for at a moment's notice without thought. It'll become instinct to you. But we all know that more than just memorization is required. We've all experienced uh, that, uh, that, that truth that it's actually doing something and working with our hands that solidifies our memory. Actually, as our kids uh, memorize stuff for school, one of the things I tell them is to get as many body parts as possible involved in the memorization. You know, do the hand motions. Write it out. Uh, write out what you're doing. Because the, the more uh, activity that's involved, the better you memorize things. And that is doubly, triply true of actually applying what you've learned. Over the years, I have uh, been able to put together many IKEA bookshelves. Many, many. I, I, and I, in my future, I see many more to come. Uh, I, I no longer need the directions, as good as those directions are. I, I don't need to follow the directions because I've put it into practice, right? I've built eight, nine, ten bookshelves by now. And so I just know how this works. Actually applying the words that you have received helps you uh, put them deep into your heart. When the time comes and it's time to apply something that you have learned, make a diligent effort of it. Put these things into practice. 
And if you fail, that's okay too. Some of the IKEA bookshelves has the, uh, the, the shelf upside down. And I learned from that. I know to expect that. You're, not only the ways in which you apply the word and apply it correctly, but the ways in which you apply the word fail, repent, and move forward help us to retain the words that we have received. And finally, so memorize, apply, memorization, application, and finally, education. This is key to the Christian life. It is key to being able to retain words is that you pass them on. You pass them on to the next individual. Peter, uh, Paul will tell us something similar to what Peter is directing us here in 1 Corinthians 15. He wants to remind us, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, that you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved. For I delivered unto you, as of first importance, what I also received. This is the basic mode of memory, of remembering. You receive it, you memorize it, you apply it, and then you pass it on. You deliver it as it has been given to you. Remember the words that have been spoken among you. But we not only remember words, we also remember the workers, right? It is significant that as Peter is instructing us to remember the words, that they are the words of apostles and prophets and their Lord and Savior. There are, they are words attached to particular people. Paul, in that 1 Corinthians 15 passage, has particular leaders in mind who have given to him the message of the gospel, and he has particular leaders in mind that he is passing that message on to. He tracks with the people who have given the words to him. Hebrews, likewise, you can't make it through this a sermon, the last sermon without mentioning Hebrews. Hebrews, likewise, tells us that we are to remember our leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their faith and imitate their faith. Paul, again, tells us in 2 Timothy, he's reminding Timothy of his own heritage, of his own inheritance, how Timothy received the gospel of God. And he tells Timothy, I, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. Mothers, particularly you mothers who passed to us the word of God, we give you honor, we give you thanks, because Peter is telling us and reminding us that it is through these things, it is through your faithfulness to us, your faithfulness to preserve the word, to force us to come to church on Sunday, even when we didn't want to, that, that exposed us to the truth of Jesus Christ and that prepares us to face the trials that we face that are to come. It does, though, raise a question, okay? We're supposed to remember the words, but we're also supposed to remember the workers, the workers who brought to us the word of God. But we could ask, I think be fair to ask, why that is so important for Peter, for Paul? Why is it so important that we remember particular names and attach those names to particular stories by which we became Christians? After all, it's the word that's important, right? It's the message that's important. And sometimes Paul will even say, it doesn't matter who the messenger is. What matters is that they brought to you the word of God. What matters is that you received it not as from a man, but as from God himself. 
The messenger doesn't matter. It's the message that truly matters. And yet we find over and over again in Scripture that we are to remember those who brought to us the words of Jesus Christ, those who delivered to us that which we received. Why is that important? It's important because the words that we believe, the tradition that we have received, these aren't abstract truths. These aren't esoteric sayings. These aren't mysteries of the universe that can be sort of pocketed and understood apart from the relationships that we have with one another. The, the words that we received and the message that we proclaim is entirely personal in character. The words that we believe, the truths that we maintain, they are personal truth. They, they are attached to persons. It's not F equals MA. It's not mathematical equations. They, they, they aren't abstracted from personal, concrete relationships that took place in space and time. They are, they are contingent upon the persons that they proclaim and the people that brought us the word. They always, we always get the word used. It always comes to us from some prior person who has put it into practice. And so it's always a bit battered. It always shows the signs of age. If you've ever uh, inherited something, you, you know this. So say you inherited some silver that's got scratches on it and uh, tarnish here that just you just can't get off. And you could go to the store, perhaps, and buy that same exact pattern in that same exact uh, set, and it'd be pristine, it'd be beautiful, it'd be brand new, it'd be shiny, you wouldn't have to clean it up, you wouldn't have to uh, get it ready, be ready to go, brand new. But actually, the silver that came to you used is the more valuable. It's the more precious. Why? Precisely because it's used. Precisely because it's connected to those persons and those events and those things that you shared together with other members of your family. Those scratches are your grandmother's scratches. The word comes to us like an inheritance. It comes to us battered and bruised as it's been put into practice by previous recipients of the word. It comes to us with this precious character that this has been well-worn because it has been used by somebody who has put it into practice. That's why we don't just memorize scripture. We memorize the way in which scripture was taught to us by that individual, by, by parent, by uh, pastor, by professor, by friend, by neighbor. We, we remember the speeches that our friend gave, those awkward speeches that our friend gave about an Ebenezer and what an Ebenezer meant. Because that was important to us because the word arrived to us well-worn. It arrived to us used. Why is that important? Why remember persons? What advantage is it to you to connect the word and to remember your own reception of faith in attachment to particular persons, to apostles and prophets, to pastors and professors and friends and neighbors? I'd like to suggest to you a couple of things, a couple of advantages to making sure that you remember not just the words, but the workers. First, this actually authenticates the word. The, the fact that you saw your parents survive, that you saw your pastor's way of life and you saw him succeed 
in certain areas, or God sustains your pastor or your friend in the midst of various trials. See, what that does, the fact that you saw it in action authenticates the message. It, it makes it more real. It shows that it's actually useful, that it can be done, that those instructions that you have received, they work, and they work in the particular lives of those around you. It not only authenticates the word, it exemplifies the word. You, you know, Hebrews, again, we are con uh, concerned not only with remembering the commands, but actually the way of life that those commands produced. Remember what they did. Remember how they acted. Remember how they treated their spouse. Remember how they raised up their kids. We were there. We saw it. We witnessed these things. These weren't just words to them. They weren't just isolated commands, abstract concepts of goodness. We saw them discipline their children. We were with them in the trenches. We witnessed these things. We witnessed the love that they had for the church. And because of that, we saw the word at work. It exemplifies how the word works. And, again, appropriate as we think about Mother's Day, it memorializes the word. Authenticates it, exemplifies it, but it's also memorialized. It's, it's honored. We honor those persons who brought to us the word. Uh, Paul, uh, again, instructing Timothy, says to show those elders who did due diligence in your lives, who brought to you the word of God, to show them the double honor that is due. That's not to honor the person, though uh, we, we do honor the person in that, but the greater honor is the honor that goes to those who cherish the word. They're honored because they gave us the honor of delivering to us the word of God. Remember, words workers, and finally, uh, both ends of this passage, we are to remember works. We are to remember particularly the works of God. Again, you'd be forgiven for asking this question. We might ask, why is it so important to develop our memory and not our, the spirit of invention? Why is, why is memory so important in the Christian life? Why not some other skill set that we need to be? Why not creativity? Well, we are to be creative. We are to create after God uh, himself since he is a creator. We are created in his image. Why not creativity for our instruction here as we face new trials and transitions? The reason why memory is so important, the reason why memory is put at, in the center is because the object of that memory is God. It is, be, it is because in the days to come, what we will primarily need is not some new skill that we develop, but we need to remember what God will do in that day. That our salvation is God-focused. That God is the primary actor. He is the one who will deliver. He is the one who will judge. This is why we need to train our memory, because it's not me that's going to save, uh, save myself in the day of trouble. It's God who's going to save me. I need to remember God because he always remembers me. He will be faithful in my time of difficulty. Again, we're told this several times in the course of this passage. And in each time, the, the reminder of God's work does a certain work in our own hearts and our own lives. It's, it's designed to accomplish something as we face 
these trials. One of the things that what happens when we remember the works of God is we are warned uh, in times of temptation. Verse 5, they deliberately overlook this fact. See, their lack of memory here is willful. It's deliberate. They are fooling themselves when they say the Lord will not come. They're fooling themselves deliberately for their own peace of mind. They deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and destroyed. Remember the flood. Remember that judgment is coming. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It is not correct to believe that the world will continue as it has ever existed in ages past. It is not correct to believe that the future will always be like the past. That is biblically inaccurate. There was a climactic day of judgment in the flood, and there will be a climactic day of judgment in the end, the one by water, the second by fire, bringing about the new heavens and the new earth. The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. We are to remember that God acts in this world, that he is not like the God of the deist who winds the clock and just waits for it to unwind. He is an interfering God. He involved in the ways of the world and he was done so climactically in the flood and again in the final judgment. He's given Christ the authority to judge the heavens and the earth in the last day. We're to remember that so that we are warned in the midst of our temptations. Actions have consequences. The judge will come. God sees into the very hearts of his people. And nothing will be ignored, nothing will be forgotten, nothing will be neglected. We're to be remember the works of God so that we might be warned. That we might avoid the temptations that face us. That's dark, but it's not the only memory that we're to cultivate. We're also to remember God's acts of salvation in the past that might be a comfort in times of trouble. This is what turns the psalmist around. If you've got your bulletin, you can flip back to Psalm 77. The psalmist is so grieved he, he refuses to allow his soul to be comforted. In fact, God refuses to allow his soul, soul to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. It's as if God is sustaining and, and, and increasing this time of trouble for the psalmist, making it even lengthier than the psalmist thinks it should be. But we turn from these dark days to hope on memory. 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. He reminds himself of his own story and the story of God's people. His own stories of times of trouble. He felt like he couldn't go on. And at the last possible moment, he was rescued on that day. Not by his own means, but only by the loving kindness of God. He remembers and tells the stories that Israel has told. Water, this time not bringing judgment, but bringing salvation for the people of Israel. As God parts the Red Sea and leads his people into the promised land. We're not only warned, we're comforted when we remember the works 
of our God. And we can say, finally, that we have this at all times. The remembering the work of God is precisely a promise that we can take to the bank at any time in our life. But according to his promises, verse 13, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We remember that on the other side of judgment, judgment will come, but on the other side of judgment, there is a new work of God, one our minds cannot imagine, the joys of which we cannot comprehend. We, we can't understand how the lion could lay down with the lamb. The world doesn't work if there is abundant life and no death. We live in a world in which death is required to produce life. The age that is to come, it, it is beyond our imaginings. The promises that God will affect among us, they're, they're beyond our consider, consideration. We don't know how the physics will operate in that day. It is so grand and it is so great. But that is the day that is promised. And so in times of trial and tribulation, in times of difficulty and testing and transition, what we remember is that God has a solution. God has a last day in store for us in which every problem will find their yes and their amen in Christ. Peter, the church is facing a climactic transitional period. The church is facing dangers and enemies. Peter, not discouraged. He knows this church will survive. He knows these people that God will sustain his people and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. And he knows that not because he's giving them some new command, not because he's giving them some novel truth, some secret that no one else knows. He knows it and he believes it precisely because he's passing down that well-used, well-worn command that he got from his Lord and Savior. Love. You are saved by love. So go and love. That's what will sustain the church. Remembering those simple truths in times of trouble. Those simple truths when we're under temptation, when we're under trial. The words that our mother told us so many years ago. Jesus loves you. This you know because the Bible tells you so. We believe those things. We hold on to them. And we pass them along as we seek the kingdom that is to come. Father, sustain us, we pray. Help us, we pray. As we go forth from here, in the lives that you've called us to live, we pray that you would sustain us by the love of Jesus Christ, and that being so equipped, so loved by Christ himself, that we would love one another with a true and enduring heart. We pray this in his name. Amen.